Hello, my name is Devin, and welcome to Meet Your Doom, a Doom Patrol podcast. So, the next two issues of Doom Patrol are divided into three stories, so today we'll be covering the one that takes up the majority of Doom Patrol 100, The Fantastic Origin of Beast Boy, published in December 1965, written by Arnold Drake, penciled and inked by Bruno Premiani, lettered by Stan Starkman, cover by Bob Brown, and edited by Murray Boltonoff. Our story begins as the team enters their home to see Beast Boy already there. Like any good teenage rebel, he immediately bursts into some clever wordplay. However, unlike other teen rebels, he also turns into about 10 different animals as Cliff tries to catch him. All of them have his green head, although animalized-ish, and almost all of them have those creepy hands. And the polar bear has icicles on it, which raises questions as to whether Arnold Drake or Bruno Premiani understood how animals worked. Rita stops the roughhousing just in time for the chief to tell Beast Boy he's not wanted, despite, as we've established, absolutely killing it in his audition. Cliff tells him to go home to his parents, and Beast Boy legit pulls a, my parents are dead. A guy, Mr. Galtry, is paid to take care of him. Cliff doubles down on his tactlessness and insults Beast Boy some more so he storms out. At Beast Boy's home, Galtry engages in some suspicious dealings, which is only fitting since he has the most evil-looking unibrow in the world. Firstly, he accepts $10,000 to let a Dr. Weir experiment on his ward. Secondly, he calls Beast Boy Craig, even though last issue established his name as Gar. When Gar Craig Beast Boy arrives home, Galtry orders him to report to Dr. Weir's office after school tomorrow. He does, and Dr. Weir makes him look at one of those spinny hypnosis things. While it seems that only a few minutes have passed, when Gar exits, he realizes hours have passed. Something is up. The next day, a security guard shows off to his employer a lizard he bought for a dime from a guy in the corner. He's excited to show it to his kids. You know, I have no joke that can really top what the comic says there. However, later we see the security guard terrified as he fights an unseen but unbelievable monster. When the chief sees the print the creature left, he, too, is in disbelief until Gar calls to confirm it is a dinosaur. The chief sends Rita and Cliff downtown where they find the army fighting a brontosaurus and pterodactyl. Cliff throws his arm inside the brontosaurus's mouth to hold it open so he can throw a grenade in as well, blowing up the creature. Meanwhile, the chief reveals that he dusted Gar with radioactive dust so the teen is easily traceable, and Larry sends the negative spirit to get him. And I'm really starting to think that whatever Weir or Galtry are up to is still many steps up from joining the chief. Back at HQ, the team demands an explanation from Gar. And now, it's time for some backstory. Gar's father was a scientist, researching a serum to turn back the clock of evolution. Naturally, they were in Africa, for reasons. Or sometimes West Africa. Which still isn't a country, but at least is a country-ish thing in risk. No, actually, that's not better. Everything was going well on this nonsense science until a young Gar caught Sakusha, a fever related to malaria that has a 100% fatality rate in humans. The only creature that can survive it is the West African green monkey that I guess humans descended from. Also, I guess the serum became a ray because Gar's dad pointed a giant ray at Gar to transform him into our apocryphal ancestor. Like a copper chief, the transformed Gar beat his infection. But when his dad returned him to human form, he was still green. Gar's mom seemed more upset about it than his dad, but even she came around when she was threatened by a black mamba and Gar managed to transform into a mongoose to kill it. Sadly, though, even Gar's powers were not enough to stop the rainy season of the entire area slash wrist territory of West Africa. His parents promptly went over a waterfall in a boat, and Gar was ordered to fly away. All he had of them was a capsule he wears around his neck, with a key that opens a vault that contains in it his father's research into reverse evolution. He suspects that while he was hypnotized for hours, Weir copied the key and then replaced it. Having been able to access Gar's dad's secret, he must have replicated the ray slash serum in a day. You know, maybe I was too hard on Larry building the Doom Patrol headquarters in a week a few episodes ago. The team races to stop Weir, but according to his assistant, he has already gone mad and set fire to his house. 
Weir is already busy attacking a ship with another Brontosaurus. The team races there, with Gar wearing a Doom Patrol costume and a mask that looks like if you pulled Wolverine's pointy parts of his mask to the side of his head and then painted the top purple. Because, of course, no one will suspect the green boy in the mask is the other green boy in town. The team fights some more dinosaurs, and it's all looking dire when a T-Rex comes in, until Gar transforms into a CC fly and gives it sleeping sickness. Dr. Weir is unmasked as his assistant, which is the plot twist no one really needed, and Gar sadly is sent back to his guardian. Cliff is convinced that his guardian is a good guy, but Rita's still not so sure. The end. And now joining us is my husband, Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Devin. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So what do you think of this, I guess not full issue, but story? I have so many thoughts about this story. I do too. I love the dinosaurs, multiple dinosaurs, repeated dinosaurs. And I love how much Beast Boy is a daddy and that he does a lot of dad jokes. It's pretty great. Well, I think the thing is, I think dad jokes have become dad jokes because... As we established last episode, the hip teen rebels of the 50s and 60s did a lot of clever wordplay as they wore their pointy Italian shoes, and then they grew up and became daddies. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So should we talk about the cover? Yeah, let's talk about it. So what were your thoughts on the cover? I am extremely impressed that Rita's arms are stronger than T-Rex's mouth. Also, that's a fat (laughs) T-Rex. And... Just that, like, Beast Boy's power is to transform into creatures, and Cliff is yelling at Beast Boy for creating a T-Rex somehow. It's very confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think we've already established Rita is clearly stronger than any other member. I'm really trying to figure out now the placement of her feet. Like, that perspective doesn't actually make much sense. Oh, maybe she's actually hanging down from the T-Rex's mouth. Okay, that actually would make a little more sense. I just like, like, why is Beast Boy not just turning into a T-Rex? Because he's going to do that a lot later. Yeah, I don't know. I think because Cliff is accusing him of somehow becoming, like, um, mineral vegetable... Animal vegetable mineral man. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And being able to divide his power into different entities. And so he's just like, what is going on? See, I actually read this cover, or at least as I was looking at this cover... I think it's just because, like, there's a T-Rex, Rita's fighting the T-Rex, Larry's staring, and then Beast Boy's just a gorilla, and Cliff is yelling at him, and they just seem very removed from that. It seems like Cliff is just yelling at Beast Boy for some unrelated issue. Like, I don't know, Beast Boy forgot to put, like, the cap on the toothpaste or something. And then the T-Rex came out of the toothpaste? No, just, like, (laughs) Cliff slipped on the toothpaste. And he's yelling, why can't you stay out of trouble? And he's just not aware that there's a T-Rex fight happening right behind him. Okay, I could buy that. Yeah. Well, we're not talking about it this issue. But I do love the unchained robot man with like his like open mouth moving oh, yeah. chains off of his neck. As much as I'm kind of making fun of some of it, this is a nice cover. I this is, this it is, is improved over other covers. I also like how the Doom is written differently. Oh yeah, that is very prehistoric. Yeah. Yeah. I love the colors. It's very, very nice. Yeah, I like the cover. Yeah, so then we get to the splash panel. Yeah, which has a lot of the creepy hands are back. I found the hand talons potentially the creepiest. And the bird, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really creepy. Um, what I did like, though, is that I think Beast Boy was actually writing the copy of the splash page also. Here he comes again. The most fabulous freak of them all and the staggering story behind this teenage terror is one that will haunt you forever this is the fantastic origin of the beast boy and it's just like the here he comes again which is like i'm back you love me i'm wonderful well, yeah because the last issue ended with hey if you really love beast boy write us and you'll know his origin so clearly someone you... wrote or they just did it anyway <laughs> yeah someone wrote and somehow a comic was made in one month which is basically impossible it seems yeah especially with the quality of this one compared to the quality of the last issue well yeah pretty the quality of like this first half of last issue oh yeah the yeah. second half was good yeah. yeah yeah i think i think maybe they just didn't like the origin and so of like how it was presented in that last issue. So they were like, we need to actually explain who this kid is. So my honest theory, and this is like purely uh, suppositional thinking, yeah, is that this probably was supposed to be part of last issue. I think the first half of last issue was the rush job. I think we were supposed to get Beast Boy's origin in 
his first appearance. That makes sense. Uh, because it just, it makes a lot more sense. It becomes a much more fuller character, etc., than getting a kind of piecemeal. And, like, just in the Silver Age, you were getting much more often the origins with the first appearance. It was just yeah. a lot less common to have it otherwise. Yeah, to have it split up like that. Yeah. That is kind of strange. Yeah. What should be split up typically is a polar bear and ice in terms of, I feel like turning into a polar bear does not immediately give one ice. No, I don't think so. But also, I think the hair is maybe throwing me off because when he turns into a mongoose later, that's almost the exact same face. And it looks like it's just a, a mongoose wearing a polar bear suit. And the polar bear suit has ice in it. Yeah, just to make sure that you know that it's a polar bear. Mm, the, the polar bear face is a little bit more bearish, and or at least a little bit less pointy than the mongoose one. True, yeah. I think it's just the ears that are throwing me off. Okay, and we do have his haircut, which is not as good as his hair last issue. No. Oh, I have, I have some comments about his appearance this issue. Can we actually talk about that right now? Do you want to talk about him in the mirror? Yes. Yeah. Like, that was weird. So at first I thought that was like a photo of his mom that he was holding, because it doesn't look like a little boy. He did seem to get the same kind of makeup or eyebrow job that Larry got all those <laughs> issues ago when yeah. Rita wore the house coat. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing is... It's weird because we were just talking last episode about how Bob Brown has a hard time competing against Bruno Premiani, and I think I like Bob Brown's Beast Boy more. Yeah, I agree with you. Premiani does amazing faces, and he does amazing faces for, like, I love creepy unibrow guardian face. Like, I think that's really great for that, like, kind of like, oh my god, he is just a creepy character. I think the thing is, he makes, with Beast Boy, he's leaning way too much into the sympathetic angle of Beast Boy versus the rebel act. Like, no, I think like oh, he, I guess, yeah, I think he's trying to be sympathetic, but, like, I also think he does not know how to draw children. Well, I mean, I think, actually, Beast Boy looks kind of like idealized six-year-old child, not teenager. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe it's teenagers he's not that good with. Yeah. Unlike his, his profile when we're looking at Creepy, which I, I really love the Creepy caretaker on that same page with the middle part. Have I introduced you to pictures of me in middle school? Yes, you have. But not our audience. Maybe those can go up on Instagram. Oh, God. Oh, there is a picture, I think, with me with the middle part and Stan Lee. So if I can oh, find that. Oh, that would be great, actually. Yeah. yeah. Stan Lee, the creator of Doom Patrol. <laughs> oh. Oh. You are going to be haunted by Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani tonight, and you deserve it. And I'll ask their ghost for autographs. Okay. Yeah. I was doing that so you can get autographs. Yeah. So, yeah, his appearance definitely is... Less impressive, this issue. He's just less of a punk. He's more of a poor, scared kid, which I guess is where narratively this story is going. But I really loved punk, Beatles hair, pointy Italian shoes, rebel without a cause, Beast Boy. Yeah, especially like at the start of part two, when Rita's holding him. Yeah, he looks like a toddler. Yeah, he looks like he could be in Rita's weird charity that she forgot about. (laughs) She did forget about that. Yeah, there's no consistency with his face. I I think this was drawn first. And I think he was supposed to be much younger. And then I think they aged him up at the end of the rush job. So I wonder what it's going to go through in the next issue. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, what also kind of makes this interesting is, just going from my own knowledge, Beast Boy as a kid sidekick is a little bit of a callback. Mm. Like, I'm just thinking of the fact that this is mid-60s by the time this is made. Most... Sidekicks were created in the 40s, a few in the 50s. I'm thinking, like, I think Aqualad premieres in the 50s. Wonder Girl is essentially an accidental sidekick. She has a whole complicated backstory. Rick Jones is occasionally playing Bucky, but Rick Jones is much more of, like, weirdly, like, a sidekick who kind of, like, jumps around between different teams. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm just thinking, like, by the 60s, Spider-Man was a teen superhero who was on his own. You had the X-Men were teen superheroes on their own. Teenagers were much more seen as, like, an independent entity. Even, like, the Teen Titans are kind of running around, proving they can be, even if sidekicks, on their own. The idea of a teenage sidekick just feels not fitting in with the times. Yeah, what's weird about this is that he's not supposed to be a sidekick. He's trying to come in as a full-blown partner. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why he is aged down to be like, you're not an adult, you can't be with us, you're a little baby boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think I think we spent enough time talking about his appearance, unless you have more to say about that. No, I don't. Let's kind of talk about him arriving there, which I love that it's just kind of a repeat of him breaking into their house, but less exciting this time. It's less exciting, but I do love how many animals we get in that first 
two pages. It is very impressive that he's able to transform into so much variety. The fish does come back. Yeah, the fish comes back. And I generally appreciate that it's a different animal every panel. I think that actually is a really nice touch of conveying to the reader how quickly he can do this and how fluidly he can do it. Definitely the momentum of him through the panels is very interesting, especially with like this kind of streaks of movement. And I do like that he goes back to being a boy at the top of page two. Look, goon gang, I'm giving you one more chance. Yeah, it's just, it's so cute. And then Cliff is just going after him and he's so annoyed. The moth also is perfect where he gets out of the rope. Yeah, I really am enjoying the interaction of him and Cliff. I like that they haven't set up Beast Boy as having the same relationship to every team member. That it is like Cliff just particularly cannot stand this kid. Maybe the TV show is ghosting on me, but he is kind of the, the most child of the the team. I guess because he is a daredevil, mm-hmm. which is very kiddish. So, like, (laughs) I think there's some weird competition there. Yeah. I think it's also that Cliff is very much the kind of guy's guy of the team. Also, just seeing that Beast Boy is going to represent a very fundamental change in this team's lifestyle. Yeah, because it is becoming more of a family than just borders in a house. Exactly. With Grandpa. I do love how often Beast Boy just calls the chief old grandpa santa claus it's just it's great i do like the image of the chief as santa claus because we know that with his computer he knows who's been naughty and who's been nice Mm -hmm. and the ones who have been naughty he's gonna douse in radioactive powder (laughs) or maybe the nice ones as well the chief doesn't seem to really care about that no the chief probably needs a lesson in societal etiquette (laughs) yeah but we're getting ahead of ourselves we are I almost skipped over Cliff wanting to spank Beast Boy or Gar. You mean Craig? Craig. Yeah, it's just, it's a very kind of creepy, like having to hold him back. The junior Fink. <laughs> I do love his response, which is, you and what A-bomb, you computerized creep. He has some good lines in general. I also like that he calls Cliff a blockhead, which feels like it's good grief adjacent. It's very peanuts of an insult. It is. I mean, Fink, I think you might have to start figuring how many Finks there are. In an episode. Okay. an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and the Guardian. The Guardian's weird. (laughs) Uh, Just like this old blue-haired man watching a boy and being evil. And like Cliff not believing that a Guardian, a foster parent, can be evil. I think typically foster parents aren't evil. Because I think usually the money you get for watching these kids is a tiny fraction of what it actually costs. So like... Yeah, I mean, that's why he needed the $10,000. Yeah. I think typically foster parents aren't... Like, I don't think they're trope is typically evil except in like i guess this story yeah it is interesting that i want to know how this dude got the responsibility to watch beast boy was he like beast boy's father's faculty advisor (laughs) and that's why he's like fucking annoyed he has to watch this child okay no let's be real no 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 a faculty advisor is not gonna have to deal with the child it would be beast boy's father's grad student oh and he aged poorly (laughs) he went to grad school (laughs) We aged well. Yeah, but we didn't enter academia. Well, I don't think this guy did either. I mean, for our listeners, um, I have horror stories from friends about things like professors essentially asking, but more or less telling their grad students they needed to pick them up at LAX and drive them back home, or else they wouldn't give them back comments on their chapters of their dissertation. Yeah. Yeah, no, grad school is crazy toxic. (laughs) It's not good. Yeah. I had, like, the one good advisor. You did. She was very nice. She was great. If for any reason she listened to this, um, she's awesome. Anyway, I would say Galtry is most likely Beast Boy's dad's grad student who somehow got written into the will that he has to watch Beast Boy. But just going back to the scene of Beast Boy was a Doom Patrol for a minute, mm-hmm. I don't think Freaks Anonymous is a really good insult for the Doom Patrol. They're not really anonymous. No, they are very Everyone public. knows who they are. Yeah. Everyone knows that they're freaks, that Rita was in the movies, that Cliff is him. <laughs> yeah. That's the one line of his that's bad in this issue. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. I think Beast Boy might have internalized the Chief's comments too much that maybe now he thinks green skin is normal, that he can just start calling other people freaks. I think so. Yeah. But I also like, sorry, that Craig Gar gave the line, forget it, I've got no mother or father, just a galtry. 
a miserly guardian who keeps me because the bank pays him to do it. <laughs> Which, like, I love that exposition is so bad. That exposition is bad, and thank you for reminding me of that. Because now it's not even a government or, like, a will or anything. I'm now just having the image of, like, for example, Bank of America meeting. And between their meetings of, like, how do we somehow get taxed even less? Or how do we, like, screw over sex workers more? It's like, oh, yeah, now back to the Gar Logan issue. Yeah. Who are we going to pay this week to watch him? Yeah. Or maybe he just doesn't understand what grad school is. And he thinks grad school is a bank. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Gar Craig. Yeah. Boy. So, okay, I feel like people, if they missed this in the synopsis, the Craig-Gar mishap, was that just because Galtry didn't like the name Gar? So he was, like, trying to force him to go by Craig, and that was, like, more acceptable of a name to distract from the fact that he's green? Well, okay, so Gar is short for Garfield, so it's potential that Galtry... Oh, is his name really Garfield? Yeah, Garfield Logan. Oh. So... That's why I always thought he was, like, an alien or something. Like, I was kind of disappointed in his backstory. Oh, no, 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 yeah. So, it's short for Garfield. Potentially, you could retcon this that Galtry suspected that Gar had the ability to turn to animals, and he didn't want the association of... Oh, Gar cat. with yeah, yeah. But that's like a completely different color. That's orange. He's green. Yeah. Do you want the actual probably real reason? Why? Uh, the real reason is just simply I think like there was less editorial oversight at the time, and particularly like caring about like issue to issue. It's why the Hulk has the name Bruce Banner and David Banner alternating between the first few issues of the Hulk. Oh. Cyclops's name is originally Slim Summers. Eventually, he is called Scott Summers, and then it is retconned that he is Scott, nicknamed Slim Summers. Uh, likewise, David becomes the middle name of Bruce Banner. And so it's probably just one of those. It's just interesting that I opened the Wikipedia really quickly, and there is no attempt to retcon that name. Yeah, I think maybe just Galtry could just, like, give zero fucks about his name. Yeah. And he's like, Craig. Costing Craig creates... Really annoying, intricate games with words. No, that's (laughs) case with words. That's a cheat. Creates really annoying instances for Galtry. (laughs) Okay, that works. Yeah. I think it's also that he's like, you know what? Galtry is too close to Gar. I don't like it. Yeah. You're not my child. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, Gar. (laughs) (laughs) shit that escalated quickly just like this story (laughs) now we get dinosaurs okay so let's talk about dinosaurs and we were talking about this a couple days ago Mm -hmm. and let's see if we can recreate that conversation okay so this issue really bothered me because it seemed very invested in the idea that dinosaurs became lizards and pterodactyls became birds yeah but i feel like they had a common ancestor And you're right, they do have a common ancestor. Here's the issue. To the internet. Archosaurs is their common ancestor. So yes, you could devolve a lizard into an archosaur, which is the ancestor of a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. But then it would have to branch off to become a dinosaur. You can't just go lizard to dinosaur. It's essentially like you have to drive back on the highway and get off onto a different exit onto a different highway. Yeah. But that would mean that essentially everything has the same common ancestor. We could go back to single-celled organisms for any of us. And then theoretically, if you're going to use that logic, you can turn anything into anything. Yeah, but I wouldn't have to go all the way back to single-celled organisms. I would go back to the episode, nope, the episode titled Genesis on The Next Generation where Lieutenant Barkley has the flu and Dr. Crusher creates a virus that triggers some part of his DNA to fight it and that spreads. And that's the episode where the crew of the Enterprise devolves to previous like um, kind of like animals basically. And it's not animals that they were directly evolved from it's that when there's evolution you have like kind of like dormant parts of the genome basically that aren't expressed and i think that's where the lizard became dinosaur star trek proved it that is not how evolutionary science works and i'm sorry it's a green liquid ray and a virus created by dr crusher yeah all the same 
I'm fine if we just are like, this is a nonsense thing, whatever. But I think the weird thing is I was totally willing to go with the idea that, yeah, sure, with this thing, we can turn a lizard into a dinosaur. I think it was when a bird became a pterodactyl, which isn't a dinosaur. Hold on, is it a pterodon is a dinosaur, right? No, it isn't. A definition of a dinosaur, and this was like one of our early dates. We went to the uh, Natural History Museum together. I was so fascinated with you that I forgot this fact. Okay, well, that's clearly you were focused on the wrong thing. Less practical, yes. Yes. <laughs> no, like, the dinosaur is all based around, like, the particular— There's, like, a hole in their hip bone or some shit like that. To the internet part two. One of the key things of a dinosaur, and this is me going off of a website from Berkeley, is—and I'm going to quote this— One important dinosaurian cinemorphy is the perforate acetabulum, simply a hip bone— actually three connected bones together called the pelvis, was the hole in the center where the head of the femur, thigh bone, sits. That's essentially what makes a dinosaur a dinosaur, and a pterodactyl or pterodon doesn't have that. Their legs go a different direction. Yeah, but basically birds do, which is why we know birds are dinosaurs. And I was like, oh, maybe that was something like that was discovered in the 80s or like the 70s or the 90s. No, that was known from 1870. We had the dark ages of pop. And marijuana in the 60s. They had encyclopedias. You could get really oh, okay. high and read an encyclopedia. Hold on. If this information was in an encyclopedia, you don't just carry an encyclopedia around in your laptop. You don't have a laptop. You get high and go to the library and read the encyclopedia. I think you're like, ooh, this thing has scales. Dinosaurs had feathers. But lizards have scales. They don't have feathers. And that's why they're dinosaurs. I mean, yes, I know, I'm expecting too much from this comic, but I just want, like, the five seconds of research from this. And I know that's asking a lot from a 60s comic, but on the other hand, it isn't because there was that kind of, like, let's educate people in old DC comics. Okay, so actually, I'm going to blow your mind. Does Gar have any evolutionary links to a bird? I want to say a marmot. Because they're so cute. But I mean mean a a mongoose, a tiger, a lion, an elephant. No. He just wants to become one. So I think that lizard was like, it's it's like a chihuahua. (laughs) 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 And he thinks he's ferocious like a dinosaur. And so it became a dinosaur. And also I think there's something to do with like he's like controlling them. So he's like putting in that thought, you're a dinosaur, bitch. And then it becomes a dinosaur. I think this is as good of an opportunity, and we're going very out of order in this issue, to talk about the fact that are humans descended from green apes? Mm-mm. The thing is, I don't think this thing is linked to evolution. I think it's linked to... Plot convenience? The will of the... Deus Ex Machina? Yeah, and that is either the writer of the plot or the daddy uh, turning his child green and telling him, with that ray, is controlling the child... You shall become a green monkey. And then the ray that, not Galtry, but the guy who was paying Galtry is shooting at the bird. You shall become a pterodactyl. And then Gar just learns how to, like, control it later on. So Beast Boy's power's origin is learning to control his form for the sake of plot convenience. Well, I think that the serum is required to... (laughs) create that flexibility of moving your dna to become something else okay it's what why are you trying to get this to be like so like scientifically backed it's a comic book i'm not trying to get these ideas backed i just i just am like so bad over it i guess because this is the origin there should be some kind of logic like something resembling logic Speaking of things that don't resemble logic. Oh, there's so many things, but what are they? I'm just trying to make a sense of one of my notes. Wait, was he going to chew the nose like that dude was his baby? What? <laughs> Wait, was he going to chew the nose like that dude was his baby? Do you know what page that's in reference to? I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. I think I might have been drunk. Maybe. So shall we talk about Larry stealing Gar from his bedroom? Oh, before that, I really want to talk about this lizard scheme just a little bit more. You have more to say about lizards. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, before lizards, I do want to just note how bad Dr. Weir's scheme is, that he's really relying that Gar is not looking at a clock for the rest of the day. I know. That is, he's a teenage boy. He's just probably thinking, like, he's dumb. 
I mean, okay, granted, I deal with a lot of teenagers who are really bad at looking at clocks. Yeah. But as a teenager who had anxiety, I was really good at looking at clocks. I mean, I don't think Gar has anxiety, because if you have anxiety, you are not just breaking into people's houses multiple times and letting them catch you. But Gar does have at least anxiety of, like, the, oh, my God, my thing, is it there? Oh, no, am I going to lose it? That's, like... I I was going to ask, why is he wearing this secret key around his neck all the time? That's a little bit of anxiety. That is. Like, why don't you just, like, put it someplace? But I realize, like, his guardian is trash. Yeah. But aside from the fact that this whole scheme relied on Gar not looking at clocks... And also, like, let's be real, teenagers are... Actually, for a while, they are very good at looking at clocks, so they have to see when the next period is, aka when is this class going to be over. Oh, that's not what I thought you meant. Oh, you thought I meant other type of period? No, I thought you meant, like, being home alone and wondering when your parents are going to come home. Oh, so you stopped looking at porn? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that wasn't an issue back then. No. Yeah. Oh. They, like, had their imagination and, I don't know, like, an album cover. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. The also thing about this whole scheme is it relies on so many parts with that guard who buys the lizard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, A, I'm going to just ignore the fact that the guard wants to show off the lizard and his boss is just like, fucking do your job. So you're mad that the boss is like, do your job? No, I I totally get it. I'm just going to ignore that. Like, okay, that weird thing. Okay, so the interaction is like this. Look at this baby lizard, Mr. Bogier. A guy in the corner sold it to me for a dime. My kids will love it. It can keep you company on your rounds tonight, Hank. You and our $10 million in diamonds. Aside from, like, just me enjoying that interaction of, like, oh, just do your job, dude. Mm-hmm. This scheme relies on the security guard wanting to buy a lizard for his kids from a random dude on the corner. It was only a dime. Okay, it assumes he had a dime to spare. I feel like back then, payphones were only a dime, so you always had dimes on you in case you needed to call your mistress. But yeah, maybe he wanted to save his time for, that's a dime to spare. Maybe he wanted to save his dime for his mistress. He might have five, and he just couldn't call one of them. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, so that's thing number one. It relies on that. It relies on him wanting a lizard or thinking his kids would want a lizard. And not only that his kids would want a lizard, but not already have a lizard. Either they don't have one and every kid wants a lizard. Or two, they have one and that lizard is lonely. I'm sure there were kids like you who were terrified of lizards. I wasn't terrified. I just wouldn't hold it. I love that I never knew this about you till now, but I just read you for it already. Yeah. But it also assumes that he wouldn't just rush home and give his kids a lizard. Like, if I were to buy my kids a random pet, I'd be like, oh my god, you kids want to see your pet? And I would take, like, the rest of the day off work to give the kids the pet. But this is a upstanding citizen security guard. Clearly not, because he's wasting his time talking to his boss. He was walking in. He was trying to get a promotion to chief security guard. <laughs> Okay. I love how I have an answer for every point of yours. Okay, want to hear my theory? Sure, why not? He was going to give this guy a lizard for his kids and not charge him a dime. (laughs) And the guy was like, oh my god, a lizard. My kids have always wanted. Hey, I have a... And he like digs through his pockets. He's like, I have a dime on me. You want that? And suddenly Dr. Weir is like, hey, I was going to do this scheme to steal $10 million of diamonds, but I could make $10 million of diamonds and a dime. And so he just took it. Yeah. Or maybe he wanted to call his mistress. Who's <laughs> himself. Yeah. Which is the dumbest plot twist that nobody needed. Oh, this episode. Uh, and by this episode, I mean the actual podcast episode. <laughs> it's a mess. Ping, ping. Are we talking about them shooting the dinosaur? Yeah. Yeah, I think once they compared it to an elephant, that only emphasized to me how much guns should work on dinosaurs. No, but you need an elephant gun to to hunt an elephant. Like, really? A revolver wouldn't, like, at least injure an elephant? I mean, it might injure it enough to piss it off, but, like, an elephant gun is, like, really big because their hides are very thick. Yeah, I don't know. I just still feel like they'd be able to, like, especially with, like, 1965 military technology, they probably could make some impact on a dinosaur. Oh, they definitely could. This was a little blown out of proportion. Yeah. What I am confused about is how there was, like, a fossilized print from the dinosaur minutes or hours after it's broken through the building. I think they just laid cement. Okay. I can be Brian, too. I can just give stupid explanations for everything. My explanations are not stupid. They are well thought out. In the <laughs> no, they are. You literally say you could just think of them on the spot. I said I like how I'm refuting everything you say right on the spot. Well thought out. I love you. Love you, too. <laughs> 
so Larry steals Gar from his bedroom. I do enjoy that when it says bleep, bleep, bleep. I had this image of Beast Boy just sitting in his room going, bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, I really wondered what was going on there. Because it didn't make any sense of, he's radioactive. Thanks, Chief. Does Chief just dust everyone with radioactive dust? Yeah, I think the Chief is tired of people calling him old, so he wants everyone to get, like, cancer. Yeah, yeah, so I don't understand the bleep, bleep, bleep. I know, I think it's literally either a guard just like, this is what kids did back in the 60s, is they would lie in their room and shout bleep, bleep, bleep. Mm -hmm. He was pretending to be a robot, Bing Cliff making fun of him. (laughs) Either that or, like, He's a good kid, but he wants to be a rebel. So instead of cursing, he just says, bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah. What's this? Snake man, let me go. I can't go with you. I've got to handle this thing myself. Let me go. Ooh, man. Bursting into a teenage boy's room and him saying, I need to handle this thing myself. That's... Yeah, that's very rude. Yeah. He was fully clothed, though, so I'm not sure what he was doing. Bleeping. He was getting ready. (laughs) He was bleeping. (laughs) That was the microwave to warm up the lube a little bit. Oh. Um, so Cliff tears off his arm. Which I like we've now embraced that Cliff just, his body is made of paper mache at best. Yeah. And then he somehow has a grenade that he just throws in the horse's mouth. And I love that this grenade is powerful enough to just dismantle its entire body. Freaking insane. Dismantle his entire body with its head still perfectly intact. Know, is his arm still in the mouth? No, they didn't draw that in. That would have been perfect. Wee. Because <laughs> he's probably still like cognizant of what's happening to it. That poor lizard. Oh, Not wow. a lizard, it's a bird. It chose to be a dinosaur. Anyway, should we get to Beast Boy's origin? Yeah. Okay. Pretty bottle. It's so pretty. <laughs> I was more just looking at the manic expression on his dad in that panel. Oh, yeah, with that giant creepy syringe. Yeah. My biggest question is, why is he doing these experiments in Africa slash West Africa? There's no reason he needs to be conducting it. They never give reasons as to, like, oh, he was doing these research because he needed to buy, buy X, Y, or Z. I think it literally was research that was illegal in the United States. Oh, no, I definitely think he should not have been doing this. It was a bad idea. I mean, it actually wasn't a bad idea. It was a good idea, but it was a bad idea. The only bad idea of it was that he was in an area where there was apparently a highly transmissible fatal disease. Yeah. But the actual research itself seems relatively, if not safe-safe. The only negative effect is the greenness, where it does seem to do exactly what he aims to do and does save his son's life. Yeah, so at least he preemptively knew how to save his son's life, doom them. As you were saying that, sorry, I was distracted because I was skimming through. His wife has, like, five costume changes (laughs) until she dies in that red dress. So once he turns into a mongoose to save her from the black mamba, she's stuck in that red dress. But before that, she runs in um, with the pointy bottle in that blue, like, flight attendant outfit. And she has that little pink outfit before that. Oh, yeah. And then now she's in purple with an apron. And then she's still in purple, I guess. But she has those (laughs) giant, like, uh, fashionable white sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) They're goggles, but sure. They look like those, like, really, like, thick-rimmed sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no apron. No apron, yeah. And then the red dress of death. I mean, okay, so I'm going to say this. This seems like this is taking place over weeks, if not months, as they're doing the research and everything. True. So, like, if you were to, like, pop in on us on random days, like, yeah, if I'm wearing my Garnet Steven Universe shirt one week and, like, three weeks later I'm wearing it again when there's something else important happening. It's not like I'm wearing it all the time. It's just, I think it's more of a case of dumb luck that it's just unfortunate that the same outfit she was wearing when her son manifested powers because she was in a near-fatal situation was the same outfit she was wearing when the entire area of West Africa flooded. Unless this was all supposed to have happened in the same day. Like, he saves her life in one day and then has to watch her die still. But I guess no, because maybe she just cycled through again. Yeah, because he says we stayed on in Africa until the rainy season. Which, I mean, unless he, like, the rainy season literally began that afternoon. Yeah, but I feel like it's supposed to be, like, time has passed. I think they just got lazy. I feel like she also just got 
maybe she just fell into like a like depression and just couldn't change her clothes. No, I mean it also could be like that dress was super freaking comfortable. Maybe she realized that was the coolest dress she could wear. Yeah, I mean, you know how, like, it will be the case that, like, I find one pair of jeans I really like, and then that suddenly becomes the pair of jeans I wear, like, five out of six days? Yes, but also, I just realized why he wants to join the Doom Patrol. His mom died wearing a red dress, and their uniforms are colored red. And his dad died wearing a white shirt, and their uniforms have, like, the white accent. He's trying to get back to his family. Aww. So that was just traumatic. Like, him, this gigantic bird, which I guess that's scale, maybe, but it felt like he was so big that he could have just picked up his parents and saved them. Okay, I will say, I have such a fondness for old comic panels where people are shouting a lot of things as they are falling. That too. I love that. Like, there's a really great panel during Fall of the Mutants when Cyclops is, like, falling off a skyscraper and he's just arguing with Archangel, who's turned evil at the time. And he's like, Ward, can't you perceive reality or something like that? Or like, Ward, you need to be more reasonable about things as he's falling off a skyscraper. And I just, like, I love those types of panels every time. So this one... As they are falling to their deaths, uh, the wife is like, You've got to go. You can't waste your life this way. Goodbye, son. Please. Please. I don't want to. Mommy. Daddy. Don't leave me. No, I, I love that. I really liked his dad for how crazy the dad seemed. Because the dad, to me, felt very reasonable that the mom's, like, upset that her kid's green. And the dad's reaction is just like, well, he's alive. That's very chief. It's not even very cheap. It's just very reasonable. Like, would you rather have a dead kid or an alive and green kid? Mm. <laughs> green? Yeah. Green. That's the right answer. Um, just because this discussion is not linear at all. I'm just going back to Mongoose Boy still in his uh, overalls or suspenders. Yeah, I guess it's before his powers full. Oh, no, no, because they do shift afterwards. It is a very cute look. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I think, like, because you're saying about his clothes. Yeah, because his clothes do eventually shift afterwards. Well, I think that's just, like, Rita's clothes where they grow with her. I think the chief just gave him a costume that, like, gets absorbed into his clothes. Oh, no, because Cliff asks him about it later. Yeah, he says, hey, kid, when your body changes, how come your clothes disappear? Oh, they don't. Emanations from my body give the clothes natural camouflage. They match my skin. Hey, there's Weir. So, on that note, should we get to uh, Weir's Attack? Yep, Brontosaurus Part 2. Okay, and most importantly, though, as Brontosaurus Part 2 is attacking, you know what we get? We get a good grief. Good grief! Am I seeing things? Or is that man riding a dinosaur? Let's scram! Let's scram indeed. Oh, good grief! So I'm trying to decide <laughs> if what Weir is holding is a scythe or a flag little tiny flag i've been, i was i have the exact same note yeah and the gigantic weird goggles which again if we're not going with your theory on how this thing influences animals i feel like if i were to attack an animal and then turn it deadly that's a bad plan because that animal is just gonna attack me like when he grabs the bird and like mutates it i would just feel like that bird would then just attack me well i think my theory though is like he's not like he still has some kind of mental control over them because he is controlling this brontosaurus. And he's like... The brontosaurus is very into flags. And he's trained... And birds like shiny things, and that's why he attacks Cliff. Oh, that is true. Shine like a cliff and like a diamond. Can we also just talk about Beast Boy's costume? Oof, that's not a good look. It is a very bad look, and it is very Sailor Moon to me. Yeah, how? Uh, just the thing of him being like... Ha ha ha! No oh. one will recognize that I am Gar Logan slash Craig Logan slash whatever because they'll think it's this other green teenager who they can only see half his face. And it's very Sailor Moon where, like, you have the one girl in Japan with foot-length blonde hair and the one girl in Japan with foot-length green hair. And, yeah, that is their form of disguise. I thought you were also making, like, a tuxedo mask reference also. Because, like, how it just covers his eyes like that. But also it gives him a bald cap, which is kind of embarrassing. It's not a flattering look, and especially when you have... Where did his nose go? Oh, it's there. You see slits of it. Yeah, but it looks like it's, like, turned into, like, a snake kind of nose or something. Maybe he's, like, half-turtling right now? I don't know. He's trying not to poop himself. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he ever does turn into an animal just to poop. Maybe. 
Oh, he should turn into... Oh, which one's animals poop in cubes? Wombats? Is that wombats who do that? Yeah, I think it's wombats. I know there are other animals who eat certain coffee beans and then poop them out, and that's when they're actually, like, able to be consumed. But there's also a beer that then uses those coffee beans. Well, people make coffee out of those coffee beans, too. Yeah. Yeah, I and, mean, like, it's not that coffee beans can be consumed after that. It's that um, because they're, like, partially digested. Like, the normal coffee beans. It's just they have, like, a special flavor. Ah. Uh. Yeah, so... Beast Boy brews into, I've turned myself into the smartest one of these prehistoric monsters, the mammoth, granddaddy of the elephant. How does he know that's the smartest of them? Well, elephants are very smart. Oh, I guess that makes sense. But like, is a mammoth very smart? I mean, clearly. I mean, he does look very smart with those giant tusks. Yeah, and he has like kind of like a little beardy thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Owie. I will say like, God... Even though I don't love Premiani's Beast Boy as much, this fight scene is beautiful. Like, everything about it from, like, the panel of Cliff swinging the anchor to the perspective as he's, like, lassoed the Brontosaurus, the panel of Beast Boy turning into the Mammoth, or Rita grabbing the Pterodactyl. Like, every panel of this is just, oh my god, I miss Bruno Premiani. Yeah, although I am a little creeped out by her elbow area when she's grabbing the pterodactyl. It's a little disturbing looking. Well, I think it shows like it's growing even as you go along the arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then is it Titsi fly or CC? I think I said CC, but it might be Titsi. I don't know. Yeah, so that is the saving the day. Which is pretty clever. Which is clever, but also, like, how did he also make the sleepy? Like, the, t- the c- CC flight isn't, it's not, it's, it carries a virus, right? I think this is very similar to our issue we had a couple, or uh, I think this is very similar to the discussion we were having last week with the rabid wolf. Yeah. Can he go and become that, grab the thing, store it somewhere in his yeah. pocket? Or is this just, like, is it a version of hominin-based powers where, like, he has association-based powers? Like, the fact that he can conjure icicles if he's a bear. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Scooby-Doo and (laughs) unmasking Weir as the assistant. Unnecessary. And suddenly the team is really concerned about legality. Like, they have been costume vigilantes for the past couple years. The chief is literally dusting teenagers with radioactive dust. He has a machine built to spy on people. And now suddenly he says to Beast Boy, I'm sorry, boy, we haven't the legal right to keep you here. Only your guardian has. Yeah. So you're sending me back to that creep. Okay, but someday you'll believe me. Cliff, no, I will not. Rita, maybe. The kid's all right in a scrap, but he's still trying to con us about his guardian. Are you so sure, Cliff, he's lying? I'm not, but we'll see. It's weird that Cliff would say scrap as a fight, because I feel like he's inviting a bad pun there. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I will just want to point out, though, when the bird becomes a pterodactyl, Cliff does call him a flying fink. There are like three or four finks. In okay, we can start keeping track of finks. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a phrase now. Okay, we have a fink count. Yep. Dink. So, now that we have a fink count, shall we get an award count? Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite panel? My favorite panel was the exploding dinosaur. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. I mean, there's a lot of gorgeous panels in this. We've discussed a lot of them, pretty much everything in the final fight. I really do enjoy the mongoose with his little suspenders, but oh my god, just... The dinosaur exploding and Rita just being like, okay, I'm getting out of here. Oh, yeah. So my favorite panel was also, it was a tie, but I describe it a little differently than you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I describe it as Rita farting (laughs) (laughs) on the exploding dinosaur. Because it's just like, there's a lot of gas explosion happening there for just one grenade. So I feel (laughs) like she passed some gas as it was exploding. Her dress is moving a little in a way that could look like a poof. Yep. And then just Beast Boy's parents dying going over the cliff. (laughs) I think mine were just because of the humor of the situation. I mean, fair, fair. Yeah. Favorite member? Uh, It was Gar. Yeah. Yeah. He won me over just with his initial appearance with all the the jokes. Yeah, I think he's just doing a generally good job. I like that, honestly, like, I like... The initial jokes, he does actually save the day, and also, he's doing a pretty good job dealing with a team that, like, is half not even believing him when he's, like, coming to adults he trusts and be like, hi, I'm in a super toxic situation, can you help me out? 
he's being very patient with them. And also when they give him this really shitty costume, he's very much yes-anding it. And I gotta give him credit for that. Like, they give him this, like, knockoff costume with this ugly-ass mask. And instead of being like, everyone's gonna know who I am because you've done something that covers the mouth. Instead, he's just like, imagine, I'm finally wearing a Doom Patrol uniform. What a kick! And also, like, how did the chief already have this uniform for him when he did one on the team? Oh, no, it's totally a discard. He just had that in case he shrunk himself down to a child size? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think the chief just totally measured Larry wrong the first time. It just has had this in storage since then. Yeah. So, like, again, I'm giving Beef Boy credit for going along with it. Yeah, fair enough. I do wonder if his uniform will change. Um going forward but i doubt it will i mean he's essentially wearing a version of this uniform minus the mask in teen titans mm. Ooh. so like we're talking like 20 years later it's like kitty pride where she has a version of the xavier school uniform initially and like with a few exceptions every costume she wears since then has been a variation of the xavier school uniform gotcha that was nonsense, and I shall ask you, what is your favorite nonsense? Oh, definitely the guy with the lizard, and just how many necessary ifs were required for that scheme to work. Mm-hmm. How about yours? The CT fly virus being the way to end the fight by making the dinosaur go to sleep. Fair. Yeah, I was just like, okay, that's a thing. I hope they move away from him just giving viruses to people. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I'm like, I'm wondering how it's going to go through. Because, like, again, I'm mainly familiar with Beast Boy from the 80s Teen Titans. And I've never heard of this necklace. This ain't a thing. Yeah, maybe they did the thing before this to make him more interesting. Because this origin story was a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite line? Uh, my favorite line was the Santa Claus one, which I will read in full right now. What's the matter, Santa Claus? Did I make your reindeer look like dogs that last time? Oh, come on, let me join up. I I don't want to go home again. Again, I really like the balance of, like, mean, smarmy little kid with, like, just love me, please. Yeah, he's so cute. I know, I really do like this version of Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. How about yours? Mine was also a Beast Boy line. Hello, Grandpa. Listen, I can't explain it, but you've got to believe me. That was a real dinosaur. I know it. Beast Boy? Confound you. <laughs> uh, it's just so cute. Just the, like, calling him Grandpa. I don't know why I enjoy the insults that are thrown at the Chief by Beast Boy. I think because they're all justified because the Chief literally dusted him with radioactive material, and I don't think I need to let that go. No, I think he just can call the Chief old as much as he needs to. Also, I think, like, if anything, the Chief is likely 45 at oldest. 145? No, like, I'm thinking, this is me going off the fact that, like, one time I did the math, and according to Silver Age X-Men, Xavier was at oldest, like, 28. Mm. Um, I think the Chief, it's, like, the 60s. The fact that he doesn't have gray hair, that dude is at oldest 45. True, yeah. Or he dies it. Yeah. Just like Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. And on that note, shall we go to uh, the outro? Yep. Cool. Meet Your Doom is recorded and produced in Inglewood, California. You can check out new episodes every three Fridays on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like our podcast, please review us and tell all your friends. If you don't like our podcast, well, we'll stop this episode soon. If you pay us a dime. You do have dimes on hand, don't you? No. Sheesh. We will also accept lizards. You can follow us at Meet Your Doom Pod on Instagram or email us at meetyourdoompod at gmail.com. Our theme song is a remix of Freak Like Me from the Doomed Spider-Man musical. Till next time, keep it doomy. Doomy.